Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good to go. Welcome to National Signing Day. Ari, is, uh, is today signing day? It basically is. Might as well be. Signing day is a fake construct of the uh, recruiting industrial complex. <laughs> um, it doesn't really exist. But we'll be back a week from today providing fake breaking news, probably about like uh, faxes coming in. Um, because Ohio State's recruiting class, which is what we're here to talk about, is basically done. There are 22 guys in the class as we sit here uh, speaking about this today. Uh, a couple spots still open, but we're going to try to evaluate this class before signing day. And we do have a lot of recruiting coverage coming for you in the next week. Again, I'm Doug LaMaurice from Cleveland.com here with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. We are the Bad Podcast. You can always read us every day, and I'm assuming you do read us every day, at cleveland.com slash OSU. And we like to sit and talk every now and then. And what we're talking about now is recruiting because that's all that matters in Ari's life. And um, he tried to go to the grocery store the other night knowing that a kid was going to commit while he was at the grocery store. What exactly? Do you know what you were buying at the moment that the commit happened? Actually, you know, that's not. I was on my way home, but like I got a, I was like five minutes away from home, and Doug sent me a tweet that said, "Are you at the grocery store?" And like my right foot hit the gas pedal a little bit harder, <laughs> and uh, I went to go get diet grape soda because I was having a little hankering for it, and like I thought that like if I, because Dwayne Haskins tweeted something at like six o'clock saying Zone Six got a little bit stronger today. So I was like, okay, I'll give this four hours, and if by 10 it doesn't happen, then I'll just assume we're not going to hear about it tonight. So I left at like 9.30, and uh, at 10 o'clock, I was the magic number. When you buy a Diet Grape Soda, is it brand name Grape Soda, they or only is it have, store brand? They only have store brand Diet Grape. I've never seen like Welch's Diet Grape Soda before, or like a, a grape. So it's like Meyer, Meyer how, brand. How good is it? It's a 10 out of 10. I love grape soda. So, like, do you have some in the house right now? They're gone. I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> he he enticed us to come here with diet grape soda, and oh. then drank all of it before we got here. Wow! And now you can't go buy more diet grape soda for a whole week because you have like yeah. two or three more commitments to wait on. You know, I just the thing about it, and like I do this like 60 percent of the time, and it needs to be 100 percent of the time. I just need to put my laptop in my trunk everywhere I go. <laughs> just like in life, be, not just for signing day, just like everything happens. Oh. Uh, 
Ra- Raekwon McMillan was the player of the week. That, you know, stuff pops up all the but time. But you're going to be that will that will lead to you like sitting with your legs crossed in the freezer section next to the fish sticks, <laughs> writing a four paragraph story about Ohio State's latest commitment. We've written some stories in some pretty strange places over the years. I would not be surprised. I think that'd be a good podcast in and of itself. That sounds like a dating game question. Where's the strangest place you've ever written a story? I wrote a story on a marina in Southern California. That's my strangest. What's yours? Nice. It was a commitment story for Danny Clark. I'll never forget it. Really? It was out for the Gambino concert, and I was just at like uh, Juju Smith High School, and then Danny Clark committed, and I was like at like the Manhattan Beach Pier with my friend, but I had my laptop, so like I just popped it open and did it like from the beach. Hmm. That's wow. my strangest. That's a good story. Mine's probably the crapper. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Didn't ask you where your office is. <laughs> okay, so Ohio State again with 22 guys in the 2016 recruiting class as we speak today. Um, that is 12 offensive players, 9 defensive players, and a punter. So we'll start there, and we'll go to our special teams expert. And the question that I have for you, Bill Landis, is how angry are you that Ohio State's commitment – in the 2016 class, that punter is not from Australia. You know, I think that's um, a pretty serious misstep by Urban Meyer to know that you need a punter and not go to Australia to get. It's a free trip to Australia, man. So I think it's um, it's obvious that Drew Chrisman is not going to be as good as Cameron Johnson. Just accept it now because Aussies are the best. So, I mean, obviously we'll have a lot of questions for Urban on signing day about that, why they did not go back to Australia to find a punter. But actually, you know, we're going to look at the kids in this class, and here is a true fact. Drew Chrisman is going to be a major contributor to Ohio State football for three years. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of kids in this class that you can sit here now, a week before signing day, and guarantee that. But Cameron Johnston, he has a year left. He'll punt in 2016, then he'll leave. And then Drew Crispin's going to be the punter for and three also, years. He might even be the punter for four years if he redshirts this year. And it's also important to note that off the top of my head, he's the number one punter in the country, right? He has a big foot, right? He is, yeah. So I think that – and he's a three-star prospect, and it's very weird when a special teams player is higher than a two-star. He's rated higher than three other players in the class as a punter. So, like, you can think that, like, we're joking, ha, 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 let's talk about punters. But in two years, Doug will write serious. a story and say the best person at their job on this team is Drew Christmas. And and I want to – I have asked Urban Meyer about this. Urban Meyer loves to talk about special teams. I want to go in and watch film with Urban Meyer and really figure out why Ohio State's special teams are so good because they absolutely, every game, each of the last two seasons, they gain hidden yardage. Every time they kick or punt the ball or return a punt or a kick. And it is fascinating to me that as we sit here talking about four and five star recruits, as we sit here with a team that is going to send 12 to 14 guys to the NFL draft, a bunch of guys in the first round, they absolutely positively gain one of their biggest advantages in a part of the game where they're putting out walk ons and freshmen and backups to do something that they do at least as well, if not better, than practically every team in the country. So we started with the punter for a reason, and Drew Christman is a good one. He's from the Cincinnati area. He's an Ohio kid, um, and he will play. You will see him. Um, 
we'll get a little more high profile here, Ari. There are clearly some skill guys in this class. Again, 12 of the 22 commits at the moment on the offensive side of the ball. That starts with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback, but they have a couple really interesting tight ends. They have a, uh, a guy in Austin Mack who seems like he could make an impact as a receiver sooner than later. Um, a couple interesting guys in the backfield in Demario McCall and Antonio Williams. What do you think about the skill position talent, Ari, in this class? And when you're talking about, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of guys at receiver, but there's uncertainty for Ohio State when you lose Michael Thomas and you lose Jalen Marshall and you lose Braxton Miller. Um, they're losing Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. They're losing Nick Vanette at tight end. They doesn't mean all these true freshmen are going to play because we'll get to this, I'm sure. One of the fake things about Ohio State football is the idea that true freshmen play. I mean, that's true at a lot of places that not many guys play. Four guys played last year. These guys will probably play more than the guys did last year because the team in 2015 had so many people returning. Mm-hmm. But these guys are not going to play right away. If you're a good team, you don't need true freshmen to play. But are there skill guys that we could see kind of early? And who among the skill guys intrigues you the most? Well, the interesting thing that I that you look at when you see Ohio State's 16 recruiting class is that like, they have an entire offense in this class, which I think is you know pretty... Regular, but when you look at everything they're losing, they are replacing guys that they're losing with other highly rated prospects that at other places could play early. So I think you have to start the conversation by saying they lose Elliott and they're getting Antonio Williams. They're losing Jalen Marshall and Michael Thomas, and uh, they're getting Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor. They're losing their tight end and Nick Vanette, and they're getting Jake Hausman and Luke Farrell. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, it goes on across the board. So, um, you know, the interesting thing is who's going to be the one who actually emerges and has an actual chance to play, which in our past experience is probably none of them because at Ohio State a lot of them don't play. But the one that's most intriguing to me um, is Austin Mack, and that's for a, a number of reasons. One, he's coming into a position group, I feel, that is very inexperienced and um, has some people to replace. So the, the returning roster is inexperienced, and they're losing Marshall and, and Thomas. He's an early enrollee, which means that he's already in the weight room with Ohio State, and he's going to take part in spring football, which I think is a huge, you know, benefit because a lot of times when freshmen come in and they come in early, um, you know, they have one fall camp to get ready, and there's a game in a month. So to go through basically another type of a fall camp atmosphere for three weeks could get him more acquainted to compete with some of the younger guys who haven't played much at all. So um, at the wide receiver position, Austin Mack also, um, you know, he's been committed for quite some time since the summertime, but he only got better, you know, from a national perspective in the time since. He was named a captain at the All-American game, the Army All-American game. Um, he's got size. Um, he's uh, six foot two, 205, so he's a lot bigger than some of the guys they've had coming in the class. And, um, you know, he strikes me as somebody who might be able to, to do some things. So, And um, while, while we're talking about Austin Mack, and I think he is absolutely a, a fascinating name in this class. Um, Bill, I know this is a story that you've kind of been dancing around for a while and I think is, is going to come maybe in spring football down the pike. It's an interesting look at the Ohio State wide receivers of late and how many of them weren't receivers in high school. Right. Austin Mack seems like a kid who absolutely is going to arrive at Ohio State knowing the ins and outs of playing receiver. I think kind of like Michael Thomas did. Yeah. A guy who's coming in not as an athlete, not as a speed guy, 
not as raw talent, but as someone who has talent but also has that that positional skill. Do you think that will have any great effect on Austin Mack? And do you think, I don't know, that they need more guys like that? Yeah, I do. I, I asked Urban Meyer about this, and I forget what week it was. It was, it was in the middle of the season, which maybe it wasn't the best time to ask it. But essentially I said, do you think the fact that everyone in your receiving core besides Michael Thomas is a converted guy, whether it was Braxton Miller from quarterback or guys who were high school quarterbacks or high school running backs, um, he said no. Um, I didn't really believe him. I didn't expect him to to admit that was the case anyway, but I still I think the fact that they had guys who were still in the early stages of learning how to play the wide receiver position hurt hurt the offense in some fashion last year. I think the fact that they've gone out and added two big-bodied true receivers in Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor um, speaks to that a little bit. Uh, I, I, again, I don't even know if Urban Meyer would admit it in hindsight that that was a, that was a problem for them. But I think that <clears throat> coming in with those inherent receiver skills, knowing how to run routes, because it's more than just being fast and shifty. There's plenty of guys in this roster who are fast and shifty, and once they get the ball in their hands, are really good. But it's difficult to get the ball in your hands if you don't know what you're doing off a line of scrimmage and you have to beat a cornerback one-on-one. I think it's important to point out, because we haven't specified that yet for you guys, but Benjamin Victor is six foot four, six foot five, hundred and seventy-seven pounds. So we're talking like a huge deep threat right. type natural receiver. So um, the only person on the roster right now that kind of came in with at least an Austin Mack type experience, really, unless I'm forgetting somebody, because um, I even believe like Noah Brown was a receiver in high school, but I think he was an he athlete. Played running back. Like, so yeah. Noah Brown, Curtis Samuel was Curtis running Samuel back. Is Johnny Dixon, and Johnny Dixon's got some knee issues that right. haven't really gone away. So I'm not sure exactly if they're going to be ready to go. Well, let's talk about that. I think I think people listening to this may have a decent vibe on Austin Mack because he's an Ohio kid. Because he's, he's been, not an Ohio kid. He's you a, always do this. He's, he's an Indiana kid. <laughs> it's basically I count Ohio. Fort Wayne. There's been enough. Deshaun Thomas made Fort Wayne. <laughs> Part of Ohio in my mind, and I will always. <laughs> this is a recurring mistake in Doug's Fort Wayne, Ohio is his his head. So don't. It's not that he's uninformed. It's, he just makes yeah. this. He is. He has acquired the property. You know who him. also makes me think that Fort Wayne is in Ohio? Kyle Rollins. Kyle Rollins. <laughs> Shout out to the Blade. Um, he's an he's an area kid who's yeah, been committed kid. forever, and he and he's been. A constant on the camp circuit. So like yes. he, he's been here a lot. Ohio yeah. State fans know his name. Yes. Benjamin Victor is a late add to this class. And we know this Sam Bruce kid, is it first name Sam? Yes. Was another receiver they were looking at who decided to stay with his commitment to Miami and not flip to Ohio State. Victor is a kid from Florida. How big of a deal in your mind was that commitment for Ohio State to add Benjamin Victor in January in this class? Ohio, well, it was just part of the, I mean, if you... For listening to this podcast, there's probably a 75% chance you're aware, but last Monday, or the Monday, I don't know the date. What's today? The 18th is the day he committed. Okay, so that was like the day that they also got Haskins and, and Keandre Jones. So that was a huge day, just not only for the significance of the position, but just in Ohio State recruiting in general, because they were kind of, it seemed slipping a little bit, and then all of a sudden they like boomed back to being in the top two, and uh, number one on that day. So I, I think that... When Ohio State lost Jalen Marshall, I, you know Urban Meyer alluded to it when we had a conference with a press conference with them a few weeks ago that there were a few unexpected people that went to the NFL, right? In my mind, not throwing Jalen Marshall under the bus, but I think that that was one of them. So um, you know Benjamin Victor wasn't a guy who kind of came out of nowhere. They had been recruiting him. He took an official visit in October, so like he's a guy that they wanted. But but to get him in January because 
of where he's located and the teams that they were going against. Um, you know, Tennessee was one of them, and some teams in the South. Um, to get that guy on the roster and, and have some more depth at wide receiver was huge, especially because we're uncertain about Johnny Dixon's future. Do you think that was a little bit of a, of a, of a straight line of Jalen Marshall leaves, that opens the spot for them to, to re- get Benjamin Victor in this class? I think that when somebody leaves, that always opens up a spot. I don't know if they do positional spots. Okay. Because they wanted him before Jalen left. I mean, he's right. a complete... Would they have had room for him? They would have made room for him. Okay. It might have been yep. like there might be athletes out there that are on the fringe right now that they wouldn't have a spot for. I think that the way, just to clarify, sometimes we look at the current roster and we say, well, the current roster is losing this guy, so they need to go make a spot for this position. And I don't think it works that way. I think right. that when they lose a scholarship, they make they have an extra room for a scholarship on the other end for the best player they can get, regardless right. of position. So um, they, they have an idea of their needs. And wide receiver was a need before Jalen Marshall left. It just became more significant when he did. So we know Ari at running back mentioned Antonio Williams. Um, he is a guy with Ezekiel Elliott leaving. There's all kinds of carries up for grabs. We certainly know that Mike Weber, who was a big part of last year's recruiting class, will be in that fight. We are all sort of expecting Curtis Samuel to get reps at the running back spot. But I think you have to include Antonio Williams in that mix as a guy who could come in and maybe get some time at running back right away, I think we're all sort of up in the air on maybe they won't have a bell cow running back like they've had with Carlos Hyde and Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe there will be a room for room for two guys, maybe even three guys to get some carries. But a guy I want to talk about, and, and let me say this. We talked about Dwayne Haskins a lot on our last podcast. We'll include that link here as well. Um, you can find it on our SoundCloud page. You can find it at cleveland.com backslash OSU. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on Dwayne Haskins here. That was a huge get, obviously. Kid from Maryland, pro-style guy, good body, had recruited him earlier. Tristan Wallace had been their quarterback uh, commitment from Texas. He decommitted. They basically stole uh, Dwayne Haskins away from Maryland late. He was part of that big day that Ari mentioned, but we're not going to spend 15 minutes But quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. You, You can't talk about quarterback recruiting enough. And we've already, so which is why we already talked about him last week because we couldn't thing. wait for the recruiting podcast. We had to talk about Dwayne Haskins then. But I want to talk about Demar- uh, Demario McCall. And he's five nine and a half, 171 pounds, according to our friends at 247 Sports. He's a North Ridgeville kid, so people in the Cleveland area might know him. Bill, I think we're looking at him as, a, as an H-back candidate. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and I'm fascinated a little bit by what the H-back position has become at Ohio State. And by that, I mean I feel like it has been de-emphasized. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Jalen Marshall make some plays from H-back in 2014. He became an outside receiver. We saw Braxton Miller at H-back underutilized this year. I think everybody would agree to that. I'm not exactly, exactly sure why. But Braxton Miller didn't do as much as people thought. It was flashes here and there. It was not a consistent every-down threat part of the offense. They stopped running the jet sweeps. They they did not... The, the, the H-back as a run threat, lining up at H-back, disappeared. Yeah. Which Percy Harvin at Florida, as an H-back, was, was a huge run threat. So <clears throat> whether we're looking at Dontre Wilson... Whether we're looking at Curtis Samuel, if he stays at H, whether we're looking at someone like Demario McCall, where do you see the H-back position evolving with the Urban Meyer offense? And do we think, Ari and Bill, do we think McCall 
could maybe, I think it would maybe depend a lot on how they use Curtis Samuel. Could McCall be, again, we don't want to try to trick you into thinking all these guys are going to play in 2016, but could McCall be one of the guys who plays a little earlier? I just, before I let Bill talk about McCall, I just want everybody to know that Sam Bruce was that kid from Fort Lauderdale, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who committed to Miami or reaffirmed his commitment to Miami this week, and that was the type of player that he was. He was a smaller bodied explosive speedster and I'm not sure Ohio State Ohio State wanted him it would have been a luxury get but we're not exactly sure if Ohio State actually had room for him which might have been part of the issue but I think that also means that Ohio State's very excited about the upside of Demario McCall because when we just got done discussing wide receivers who aren't wide receivers I think McCall and Sam Bruce and guys like Dontre Wilson are kind of in that mold because Dontre Wilson played running back in high school did McCall play running back Mm -hmm. So these are running backs now that are like not college running backs, but they're being shifted into that role. So I think Ohio State's very excited about McCall and what he's done and how fast and shifty he is, but there's that distinction again. Yeah, I don't know if um, Demario McCall to me, and, and I, I don't think I saw him play when I was covering high schools in Cleveland. I might be wrong about that. But I've watched his highlight tapes like everybody. I know how, how fast and how shifty he is. What's interesting to me is that I think... I think Urban Meyer's recruiting sort of track record is that he's always made room and probably had multiple short, speedy, positionless guys in his classes. And there's really only one of those guys in this class, and it's the Mario McCall. And I find that very interesting. So maybe, I don't know if that's a sign of, of the emphasizing the H-back position or if it's a sign that maybe they feel the H-back position has been overcrowded. And because of that, guys like Braxton Miller didn't do much. Dontre Wilson hasn't done that, done much. The position has been kind of lost in the offense. So if there's one guy in this class, you can say, okay, he's the H back of the future, and it's McCall. Maybe they're just trying to, to streamline that a little bit and, and have more certainty there with that position. If that makes sense. I mean, the the one guy that I think is interesting just for the Ohio State roster because I think we all viewed him as an outside receiver, a pure receiver guy, is KJ Hill, mm-hmm. who again was a big get. Uh, in the class last year, was talked about as a guy who almost made his way onto the field this year. But every, you know, you could they'll the coaches will throw out ten guys who were right on the cusp of playing and, and didn't play. Um, but when we were at ball practice for the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona, KJ Hill was working with the H backs. Mm-hmm. That group was Braxton Miller, Curtis Samuel, Dontre Wilson, and KJ Hill. So if KJ Hill is going to be an H-back. And if you believe that Curtis Samuel is still going to get some, most, some, whatever portion of his playing time at H-back, that's exactly where Dontre Wilson's. They, they have guys there. So I think adding the call to that mix um, is interesting, but I think you're, you know, your, your point is well taken about, I, I think there's some question about how Urban Meyer is going to use that position. And I think... The thing that I don't know is, is there a question, did it feel like there was a question this year just because every time they would have given the ball on a running play to an H-back was a time they weren't handing off to Ezekiel Elliott. And there was never enough reason. Like, if we're going to hand off, yeah. if that's the play we're going to run, why would we give it to anyone other than Ezekiel Elliott? And I just wanted to yeah. interject about K.J. Hill because I spoke to him in the locker room after the Fiesta Bowl. He said throughout the season he worked at H and out, out wide. So I think there was like a versatility thing they were working on with him when he was younger. As trying to, I don't know if that was complete indication that he's going to stay at H in the spring. 
he said that he was working in at both, and like he worked as much with Braxton Miller and Dontre Wilson at, at H as he did with Mike Thomas outside. And, and a lot of it, I mean, I think we, we saw it with Jalen Marshall. I think sometimes as a younger player, it might be a little easier. Um, sometimes in the slot, you know, maybe you're not getting that corner right in your face. Maybe if it's a team that is playing like uh, press coverage, mm-hmm. and then they work you into an outside receiver. So I think you know, and it's good to have flexibility. I mean, I think. I'm not sure Ohio State is is certain what they're going to do with Curtis Samuel yet, you know. And I think we agree Curtis Samuel is going to be on the field. Do you think they know, Bill? Like, do you think they know and they're not telling us? No. Or are they working it out? I think they're still working it out, and I don't think it's only with Curtis. Like, I think a guy we forget to talk about a lot of times is Paris Campbell, who's like the exact same situation. He was an awesome high school running back. They're trying to make him a receiver. Started at receiver Started for at Ohio receiver. State last season. But I games. think everyone would agree that he was a little bit hit and miss. He had some drop problems and. I think they have to look at him, too, and figure out what's the best way to utilize this guy. Same with Curtis Samuel, KJ Hill. There's a lot of guys who are in that position. And I think the fact that they've really only recruited one guy now to throw in that mix instead of, like, four guys to throw in that mix is, is a little telling. And I think we've seen Ohio State's recruiting real running backs. Right. So I, Williams I think is a real running back. He's like right? a, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, like, he was the number seven. I think a lot of times, not to, to go off track here, but a lot of times – People are looking at Antonio Williams, and he's just the guy that replaced Kareem Walker. Because Ohio State had five-star, or once five-star running back Kareem Walker from New Jersey committed. He flipped to Michigan. But the guy they replaced him with replaced him with in the class is Williams. So I think a lot of times that stigma might creep into your mind and saying, like, hey, this guy's a replacement. He's not as good as Williams. But there are some services that now have him rated higher than, than Walker. And, and so Walker, again, who was the five-star kid who committed to Ohio State during the national championship game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From New Jersey, kind of out of the blue, left the class. He was more of a pure running back. Yes, but then who, who, and who was the other kid then that I'm thinking was it? What's his name? Hill. Who's the kid that they had that also decommitted? George, George Hill, Hill was more of a smaller body. He was more H. H. H yes. Okay. So yeah. there was a time when they had Walker, Hill, and McCall were the three quote running, running backs, backs in this but only class. Only one was going to be the Ezekiel Elliott type mold. Okay. Okay. But none of them are quite like Elliott in the sense of like speed versatility. Size, but they're all bigger body merchandise, guys. merchandise, <laughs> crop tops, um, uh, stolen dogs. Um, but um, no, but it's uh, yeah. I think that Ohio State's offensive vision is to have a powerful, fast, game-changing running back, and then to fill in the blanks around them. Okay, so the one other position that I want to hit in these skill guys because I'm intrigued by it is the tight end position. Mm-hmm. Because what they have coming in feels to me very similar to what they had when they had Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette in the same recruiting class. And Jeff Hireman played as a true freshman. Uh, Nick Vanette redshirted. That's why Jeff Hireman was here for four years. Nick Vanette was here for five years. But they both um, basically took over that tight end spot then, like their sophomore year, once Jake Stoneburner was gone. And they really um, just held that position. I mean, that, that was in lockdown. They had those two guys all the way through. And it feels like th- th- there's a lot of uncertainty at tight end. There was a lot of uncertainty sort of among the backup tight ends this year. Marcus Ball, I think, has come on after struggling for a couple of years to sort of find his role. Um, he clearly will be the number one tight end going into this season. He played a lot as the second tight end behind Vanette last year. But then the other two guys they had working out there were guys. One was a converted receiver. One was Rashad Berry, who also played defensive end in high school. We weren't sure if he was going to be offense or defense at Ohio State. Um, they both redshirted. They're more projects to me at tight end. But here you have two true, highly rated guys coming in at tight end. One is Luke Farrell. 
One is Jake Hausman, um, both Ohio kids, and I double-checked that. They're actually both <laughs> from Ohio. I'm like Austin Mack, who I only think is from Ohio. Um, both ranked um, among the best tight ends in the country, according to 247. Hausman's the number four tight end in the country. Farrell's the number seven tight end. And they just it just absolutely feels to me like Vinette and Hireman, and you just can almost cross that position off the board maybe for the next for, years, for, yeah. for for maybe the next two years in recruiting because you got these guys now. Hausman especially, I think, maybe could be a guy that, that will play early. Do you think, again, I started us off by saying these freshmen aren't going to play, and I keep throwing out, who's going to play early? It's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how good is the potential at tight end with these two? Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think... I think that one of these guys has to play. I think one of these guys will play, and I think it'll be Hausman because I think he probably complements Marcus Ball a little better than Luke Farrell would. Um, but I think it's, to bring in two top ten tight ends um, to an offense that doesn't really use a tight end all that much, I think it's pretty impressive that they were able to do that. And I know it's two Ohio kids. It's a little easier to get Ohio kids to come to Ohio State. But to be, to be able to feel secure in that position... Uh, I think is a good thing for Ohio State. It opens up spots for the future, and I think they got two really good ones. I think Hausman, specifically, because you know we go to these camps in the summertime. Hausman's been. I think both of his parents went to Ohio State. I mean, I think he's been Ohio State through and through since the beginning. But I think that he was somebody that a lot of recruiting experts um, and a lot of people who watched these camps felt was one of the most complete prospects in the country at his position, dating back to when he was an underclassman. So I think that he is like the prototypical full package at tight end that Ohio State's looking for, and that was a big get for them and somebody that they had been targeting for a long time as recruitment. I don't want to give short shrift to the offensive line, but I feel like the offensive line was such an emphasis in last year's recruiting class when they had five guys in, including I think at least three guys who are sort of those prototypical really tall, lean mm-hmm. tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, they All of them except one red-shirted, um, Isaiah Prince is the guy who, who played. Yeah. As, and looks like he could end up starting in 2016 at one of the tackle spots. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feeder was in there, Brandon Bowen, um, Matt Burrell. Uh, looks like he could compete for a starting spot maybe at guard. So anyway, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that 2015 offensive line class. To run through these guys real quick, you have Jack Wallabaugh um, from Walsh Jesuit, who's listed as a guard. Gavin Cup, Ari's guy at offensive tackle, who was the one-time Michigan State commit. Uh, Tyler Gerald is an early enrollee at guard. And then probably the best of the lot, Michael Jordan, uh, is an offensive tackle from Michigan, ranked as the number 127 player in the country, another early enrollee. And so just on Jordan already, that was a pretty big get, was it not, for yeah. him to go to Michigan and, and beat out a really beat out the Michigan schools for a really highly ranked kid. Yeah, and then any time, regardless of position or year or whatever, need – Getting Michigan kids out of Michigan, and that was before the Harbaugh stuff, if I remember correctly, or, or right as was. I mean, it's still going on, so not necessarily before, but like we were there in the summertime in Detroit for the Sound Mind Sound Body, and you kind of could see that the in Detroit, the Michigan kid gravitating to Kerry Combs, it just the significance. And I wrote a story about it of just getting a top-rated lineman um, away from those two schools. It's just big for Ohio State in general and the continued battle with Michigan. How long have we gone, Bill? Long How long has this podcast defense yet? Been in? Uh, Thirty minutes. Okay. Do we want to break off the podcast and do a separate defense podcast, or do we want to roll? What do we think? Because we could put up both podcasts together. Bill, you're the podcast. You have the. I uh, say roll. Roll. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going an hour. I can't believe we've. 
gone a half hour without saying the name Nick Bosa yet. You know what's fun? We're going to get to, he's going to lead the second half right after this commercial break. If we had sponsors. <laughs> Grape soda. Yeah. We managed to... Go buy a Casper mattress. That's Did you buy that yet? No, but I'm going to. Casper mattress <laughs> advertises on every podcast yeah. in America except our podcast. Drop the name of the grape soda again. Meyer store brand grape diet grape. We will now move into the defensive portion of the podcast brought to you by Meyer brand diet grape soda. Uh, we'll start. Let's start with the defensive line. You brought him up. Um, I, I think the defensive line recruiting and uh, has been really interesting for this class. I remember being at Friday Night Lights uh, in July when. I think was Bosa not committed yet, but like their two guys were, and then it was like, well, and then one of those guys ended up decommitting. It's been a little bit of Bosa, a whirlwind. Bosa had committed like right before Friday Night Lights because I was talking with Jonathan Cooper and Terrell Hall. Yes, Terrell about Hall about Nick Bosa joining the class, and then Terrell Hall left the class like two days later. And Terrell okay. Hall now is like an animal. Yeah. So okay, uh, Nick Bosa's beat writer was Doug Marie, so I'm just gonna go take a nap. Well, I <laughs> talked to Nick Bosa when he was like a freshman when we were at the uh, freshman in high school when we were at the uh, at the Orange Bowl. When Joey Bosa was a freshman um, at Ohio State, and it turned out that Ohio State was playing in his bowl game in the Bosa's backyard, and uh, the Bosa family was coming to practice. And it was like, hey, I'll go talk to this kid in the parking lot. I heard he's good, too. His brother plays for Ohio State. And it turns out that it was Nick Bosa. And, And again, if you're an Ohio State fan who follows recruiting, you've probably heard all this by now. But he is the guy that Joey Bosa is projected as potentially the number one pick in the NFL draft. He was a uh, two-time All-American, played as a true freshman at Ohio State, basically shoved his way into a starting job out of nowhere, and people say Nick Bosa's better. Like so, it, it's hard to sort of envision what that means. But it, you know, in talking to, to their dad, John Bosa, who himself was a first-round NFL draft pick at defensive end, the way that I, that I interpret that a lot is Nick was aided by being the younger brother. So all the training that maybe Joey got starting when he was 14, let's say, Nick started it when he was 11. All the experience, all the, the, the knowledge about technique, all the, the things that go into being not just a great athlete but a great football player, Nick was just exposed to them at an earlier age because of Joey. And so I, what I think Nick will arrive as is a more polished football player, a more finely tuned football player. I think this is going to be a kid who has been thinking like a college football player for four years. He's coming out of St. Thomas Aquinas, which Ari has written about, which is an absolute factory. Every year, they are pretty much number one in the high school that produces the most NFL players. Um, and Nick Bosa's, you know, just next on that list. Now, the caveat is he tours ACL. Hmm. So is a kid who tours ACL going to come in and make an impact as a freshman? You know, when, when, I, when I did originally, we, we started projecting um, the potential too deep for Ohio State in 2016. We started doing that in November. At that time, I had Nick Bosa in the too deep. Um, now, as you think about him coming off an ACL... And that was actually like a compromise because there was some discussion of putting him as a starter. Yeah, I mean, like, when you see what Ohio State's losing and when you think about what Joey Bosa himself was as a true freshman, which was an absolute impact player playing a lot by the end of that year, and you think Nick might be more ready 
And when you see an Ohio State defensive line that's losing Joey Bosa, losing Adolphus Washington, losing Tommy Shutt, losing Joel Hale, has three open spots and has uh, defensive tackles that nobody has a whole lot of faith in at the moment. You know, you can see Sam Hubbard playing there. You assume Taekwon Lewis, but they needed guys. So it was like, I don't know, can you make... Can you make Nick Bosa into Adolphus Washington? Or can you make Nick Bosa at least a three-man rotation, maybe a defensive end? It, it certainly made sense. I don't know now. I don't know what his progress is. All I know is that JT Barrett tore his ACL as a senior. And when you talked to him while he was redshirting at Ohio State, he was still dealing with that knee. You know, I think he was still getting... 100% healthy and confident in that knee during that first redshirt season. So I don't know if that means Nick Bosa is going to redshirt. I think it does mean that he is not going to be as much of an instant impact fighting for a starting job, fighting to be on the two-deep guy in preseason camp as he might have been, as I certainly think what I would have expected him to be if he was 100% healthy. So we'll just monitor that. We can't predict that for sure, but know that Nick Bosa is – he loves his brother. I mean, it's it was very interesting to me. The Boses are not shy at all talking about like how close they are and how much these are two big tough football guys. And you know, when Joey Bosa got kicked out of the Fiesta Bowl, Nick Bosa like tweeted during the game like, "What did he tweet? Like, I will avenge you or something." There's a like, line from Star I'll, Wars that like, "I will, finish I will finish what, what you started." started. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like this is hardcore stuff. And so like that that Ohio State is going to have six years of Bosa is quite a little bonus for the Buckeyes. So Nick Bosa is going to be a very good football player. I, I think there's – recruiting is an inexact, inexact science. I think there's basically zero doubt that Nick Bosa is going to be a very good football player. We just don't know how his injury will impact him this year. But, Bill, what I thought was interesting about the defensive line is not just Nick Bosa, because I think we could have predicted three years ago that Nick Bosa was going to be a yeah. Buckeye. His dad said that he would rather – he wouldn't want his sons playing anywhere else for anyone else other than Urban Meyer at Ohio State. So we knew Nick Bosa. But Jonathan Cooper is a guy that has really come on, um, really moved up the ratings. And, and what? So what? Ha- and what's the deal with this Terrell Hall thing? What would have – did they really have any shot, you guys, of, of Ohio State keeping all three of those guys? And how, how crazy would it have been if they could have? I think it would have been really difficult because we either go back to last year too and they bought in – Brought in uh, Jay Sean Cornell and Draymond Jones, who was a defensive end at the time he committed. There's a lot of guys there, and there's a lot of guys coming back, so I, I, it wasn't surprising that one of those guys left. Um, well, they had Terrell Hall. He wasn't what he is now, though. What is Terrell Hall? Yeah, Terrell Hall, I think, is like turned into like a five-star prospect. I mean, I haven't been completely keeping complete track of non-Ohio State targets anymore, but like he's an Alabama lean who is... He's rated as the number, number six, six weak yeah, side okay. defensive end. Still a four-star, overall, um, which would have put him still behind Cooper and Bosa. But Cooper also has had a pretty big rise. Nick's coming into yeah. like because Cooper committed two years ago during the football season. Mm-hmm. Nick, Nick, Nick Bosa, just to jump in, Nick Bosa rated number eight overall player in the country by two four seven. Jonathan Cooper, number thirty-two overall player in the country by two four seven. So that's and two Terrell top Hall. thirty-five kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But Terrell Hall is now. Considering Alabama and Florida State, Maryland, and only Maryland because he's from the D.C. area. So, I, I don't know. Like, a, it, it's to have all three of them would be crazy. But Jonathan Cooper, again, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how some of this shakes out because, like, they have these prospects more at end, and they're certainly more set at end. Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard are going to be the starting defensive ends next year. But I, I'm curious if they could 
You know, what you could they do? To, could they Adolphus Washington any of these ends? And you talked to Larry Johnson about this, about yeah. the defensive, and he said sometimes they like getting outside guys and converting them. Right. So they I seem just, to have some, some highly rated guys stocked up at end, and they have a need inside. I think you need to look at the size of these guys as they're coming in, though. I mean, like Nick Bosa is listed as 6'4", 265 pounds, which is like five pounds lighter than Joey Bosa is right now. So if there was a candidate from an outside guy to move inside, I think it'd be him because there's less work to do to get his body ready to do that. Jonathan Cooper is 234 pounds. Adolphus Washington was pushing 300. And I think you need to be way closer to 300 than Jonathan Cooper is to play that position. But if you red shirts, I mean, we saw Sam Hubbard put on like 95 pounds in six days. So I mean, I, I can put on 70 pounds in a month if yeah. you want to be. <laughs> if the, if the they, don't want that, they don't want that kind of weight. Though. <laughs> if yeah. the goal is to gain 50 pounds in six months, I bet you I could do it. You just flip the switch from diet grape soda to regular, regular grape, grape soda, soda and, and you're good to go. Yeah, but Terrell Hall is 250 pounds, so if he was still in this class, I think he'd be a candidate to maybe shift inside. And they're it. still trying to get a defensive tackle. And it's, I mean, because Rashad Lawrence is a guy they would have loved to get, right? Yeah, the kid from Louisiana. Might have been able, like, it's so much, it's funnier how we change our perception of, like, who could contribute early when you lose your entire roster. Yeah. So, four last year might be, and I still don't think it's going to be a lot, and Doug's pretty passionate about the subject. We're not going to perpetuate the we never red shirt, but when you lose an entire team and you, all you have are are underclassmen who haven't played much, then freshmen start becoming more attractive. And Richard Lawrence, a five-star kid from Louisiana who was already 300 pounds, might have been one of those guys. And I, and in the defensive projections, I think I projected Malik Barrow into the two-deep at tackle, on he, defensive tackle. He's also coming off of me. The injury. So, I, I mean, like, but but he's a kid who's, who's enrolled now in this class. And he, and he tore it earlier than, yes. than Nick. And so, but, but that, I think, is where they are in terms of Looking for people, and it might at give tackle. us an insight as to why they are targeting a junior college transfer, right? As one of their defensive tackles, because this Jamar King from California is officially visiting um, Alabama this past weekend, officially visited Ohio State the weekend before. It's probably going to be making a decision soon. When you get junior college guys in, bodies are more advanced. Time is you throw them right you in. Throw, right? It's not a wait and see game. They've got two. Uh, Two seasons to play uh, three years. So, Bill, you're looking at the roster. What's Jay Sean Cornell listed at weight wise? This is going way over an hour, by the way. Jay Sean Cornell is listed at 6'3", 265. Okay, I'm. I'm. He, my eye is on Jay Sean Cornell. Maybe is and this is Adolphus Washington. He's listed as. It's weird, and this could just be have no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. But there are guys listed as defensive ends and guys listed as defensive linemen. Yeah. Cornell was listed as a defensive lineman. Jay Sean Cornell, I mean, this is the funny thing about this, which is why we're trying to add a grain of salt to all these recruiting discussions. Jay Sean Cornell was a huge get for Ohio State last year. A kid out of Minnesota um, that I think developed a friendship with Justin Hilliard. Like they were, when they got Jay Sean Cornell, the Jay Sean Cornell pursuit was high octane. And they got Jay Sean Cornell, and then he got here and he vanished. He was borderline five star, right? Wasn't he? It's always more attractive when the kid does not live in Ohio. Yeah, he's a mysterious guy from the great white north of Minnesota. And, yeah. So, I mean, it's not his fault. I'm just saying. He just came and redshirted like a zillion other freshmen do. But while we're talking about this, it's like, okay, well, maybe Nick Bosa with a a bum knee as a true freshman. Jay Sean Cornell was Nick Bosa last year, has a whole year of redshirting under his belt, is healthy, 
and very well may be ready to make the transition and be the next Adolphus Washington. This is the 2016 class, Doug. The 2015 class does not exist. They are dead to us. (laughs) Um, Okay, we'll move off defensive line, but I do think that defensive line recruiting was pretty interesting for Ohio State. Uh, Last year they brought in some really interesting linebackers. Um, They brought in three guys that just fit boom, boom, boom to the strong side, weak side, and middle linebacker positions. Um, Those guys, Nick Connor, Justin Hilliard, and Jerome Baker, certainly will have a chance to get in the mix and fight a little bit for playing time in 2016, but I'm just seeing one linebacker. Is that right? Two. We got Tuff Borland. And Keandre Jones. Which is just a name that just, you know, you can't just you yeah. can't get away yeah, from that. I think Kier, where's Kier, Kier Hawkins? He's listed at tight end. No, yeah, we know that's not happening. But he played... Did he play defensive line or did he play... He played at Maple Heights. He was the guy that they just kind of snapped the ball to and said, go play football. Okay. Because it was basically him and Javante Richardson, who's another good guy in 2017 at Maple Heights. So Kier Hawkins is probably not a defensive side of the ball guy. He's probably a receiver in the long He is? Yeah. Okay. All right. So they have Tuck Borland. Talk about his name. And then I did I did forget this this other guy who was part of the great recruiting day for Ohio State, Keandre Jones from Maryland. Bill, what do you know about Tough? I think you did the Tough capsule, right? I know that Tough. Uh, everyone thought Tough Borland was going to go to Wisconsin because that's where his dad went. Um, is he Chris Borland's brother? He's not. He has um, zero relation to Chris Borland. Can I pretend that he's? Yeah, because that makes him also. Urban Meyer story. could not stop talking about Chris Borland in 2012 when he got here. It was like Urban Meyer when they played Wisconsin. He was like, "How did Chris Borland get out of Ohio?" Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I know. I mean, I probably don't know much more about Tough Borland than you guys do. I did write the capsule on him. I did watch his highlight tape on Huddle, and I know that's like all the good plays, and that's how highlight tapes work. He was playing in the middle a lot. And he's listed as an outside linebacker. I have no idea how Ohio State projects him, but maybe he could be a candidate to slide into the middle and get in line behind Raekwon McMillan. Um, 6'2", 225. He probably have to get a little bigger than that to play middle linebacker. But both the guys they added are listed as outside linebackers. Um, and I don't know if they added... Who was the middle linebacker they added last year? Nick Connor. Nick Connor, okay. Nick Connor's lined up. They've got a lot of young linebackers on this yeah. team. They do. But, you know, you can't have too many. I mean, it's, you know, they're going to need, they have two new starters this year, and Raekwon's only going to be here for one more year. So, like, these guys are going to get a chance to play. Yeah. Um, how big a deal was this Keandre Jones? He's listed as the number 90 overall player in the class by 247, 6'3", 198. I mean, they got a top 100 this kid. is the most exciting Urban Meyer recruiting example because he is from far away. Nobody Maryland. knew who he was. From Maryland. Maryland's far away. It is. Is it? Yeah. It's like Maryland's far enough. Yeah. No, it's, he's oh. not from Ohio. He is a, was he five-star? Four. Four-star who did not really exist in the mind of Ohio State fans until all of a sudden he popped up for an official visit a few weeks ago, and then all of a sudden, bam, he became part of a package deal with Dwayne Haskins and committed to Ohio State on the same day as Haskins and Benjamin Victor. Wow. What a day for hits that was. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of how it affected Ohio State's roster, Ari did hit his story goal that day. But, no, but, I mean, that's the best case scenario when you're an Ohio State recruiting fan, right? I mean, following the drama, it's the off-season games. And all kidding aside, that is the coolest way you can win a game, I think, is to get a guy unexpectedly who was committed to another program, who lives from far away, who flips with a quarterback on in like a week and a half. That was it. That's all it took. And, of course, he is a highly rated prospect who plays a position Ohio State needs to replace talent at. Big day, big get, big everything. Okay, one of them... Big (laughs) 10. Big (laughs) 10. 
Yeah. I got really excited. Though. Jim Delaney <laughs> is going to just take that cut. You said the kind of like Jim Rome there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I almost passed out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I think the, uh, the position where I've been most intrigued by the recruiting lately is at safety. Because I have some questions about it. Because when you look at the safety depth chart, there's a lot of questions there in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, in losing Von Bell and Tyvis Powell. Tyvis Powell was a three-year starter. Von Bell was a two-year starter um, and played at the end of his true freshman year. And like when I, I very, very clearly remember this. Um, last year at the start of preseason camp, the first practice when we were allowed to watch for at least a part of it, it was for the new guys. You know, that they, they put like the, fr- the true freshmen and maybe a couple of walk-ons or guys who were hurt the year before and a redshirt freshman out there first before they start throwing you in with Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Josh Perry. And, and you could look around the practice, this is last August, and you could see young talent here, young talent there, young talent here, young talent there. And I felt like you looked at safety and it was a bunch of walk-ons. And they didn't have guys there. And now they just lost both starters. And the guys that are in the pipeline, Eric Smith is certainly in that pipeline, seems ready to step in as a starter. He's coming off an ACL. Malik Hooker's a guy that they've talked about and liked a lot. Um, he's never really played defense. He's always been a special teams guy. Cam Burrows has been waiting his turn. He's coming off a foot injury. And, and, and so then you look and say, well, what's next? And I feel like the safety recruiting has been a little bit up in the air. And so really, the only guy who's listed, right, the only safety at the moment is our guy, Jason Wynn, yeah. who is another guy who came out of nowhere. But, like, the way things are lining up, unless some guys move position, he's going to be a guy who a couple years down the line, he, better, he might need to be ready to play because he's coming into a safety position where they don't have as much depth, seemingly, and as they do other positions. They're also recruiting Jordan Fuller. From Is he... Sometimes I have a very hard time keeping track of if they're corners or safeties. Um, I think that there's a, he's being he's an athlete and he's being recruited as a defensive player. Um, and I don't know how much distinction is there really between changing cornerback to safety. Is it a lot or a little? No, I mean because I, I, I know Damon Webb came in as a corner, but then was playing a little nickel. I think the I way know. that they play safety, speaking completely uneducated, I think it's a little less of a transition with the way that they play defense. But and they also have you know Kareem Felder coming in, um, and I, we'll get the corner on the same. Well, go ahead. I mean, we can talk defensive backs. They have three other guys who are listed at cornerback: Kareem Felder, uh, Rajay Burns, and Wayne Davis. So the, that's the group you're talking about adding to the secondary. And again, that's a secondary where they're losing three really key guys, and there certainly are you know more questions there than there are to the position groups. They yeah. have um, just to make a comment about this. The secondary recruiting at the Sands right now, I think, is probably a little bit underwhelming to people. And I think that's because Ohio State knows what it has coming in 2017. And right now they have three top 100 defensive backs committed for 2017. One a five-star safety. Or, sorry, one a five-star corner. A four-star corner and a four-star safety. So I just want people to kind of keep that in mind. Say, say those about. names. Sean Wade, five-star corner, number 12 player overall, number three corner in the class. Isaiah Pryor, four-star safety, number two safety, number 31 overall player. Marcus Williamson, four-star corner, number seven position, number 59 nationally. And that's a Columbus kid. Oh, and there's another safety. Brendan White is also committed for 2017. And that's fair because, you know, for Mark Pantone, when he's got his recruiting board in his room, he's never just looking at 2016. You're looking how everything fits together. And so 
that makes sense. You know, you could say, okay, I'm saying here, well, Jason Wint better be ready to play. It's like, okay, well, maybe he'll be passed by the four guys in the next yeah. class who are all top 100 recruits. And, J- and yeah, and I don't but, even know. Yeah. But, but again, I would also bet that that early, hardcore, successful recruiting in the secondary in 2017 is, is a reaction to the lack of depth mm. and the lack of recruiting we've seen in the backfield, in the defensive backfield in maybe 2014, and 15, 15, and 16. Yeah. Because they're, well, no, 14 is when they added Marshawn Lattimore and Eric Smith, correct? And Damon Webb, I And guess. Damon Webb. But yeah. 15, they had one top 100 defensive back. Okay. And they didn't have any this year, so I think you're right on that. And, and then it's just hard. I mean, again, you never. Marshawn Lattimore and Eric Smith both have dealt with injuries. At Ohio State, the Glenville guys that we wrote a million things about were both highly rated guys. And maybe if they weren't hurt, you'd be saying, well, Marshawn Lattimore is going to slide right in a corner. Mm-hmm. Eric Smith's going to slide right in at Those safety. Are huge gets and, and you're good to go. And, and, and I don't know that people doubt that they're good players, but they have had injuries right. that have set them back a little bit. And so all of a sudden, this is what happened at Ohio State at linebacker a couple of years ago. You looked up and all of a sudden they, they didn't have any depth at linebacker. And all it took was, you know... Two injuries here, a transfer here, a, a position switch there, and all of a sudden you don't. Your position group is really thin. So, even at a place where you recruit really well, it doesn't take much to turn a strength into a question mark. And I do think it's fair to say that the secondary at the moment, losing three starters, with what the unknowns are behind them, is a question mark. Without question. <laughs> Signing days in a week. Where are we at? Listen we at? to this. You can listen to this podcast all week. They're going to be adding a couple more guys. They're at 22. Ari, what do you think the finishing number on signing day, the first Wednesday in February, as it is every year, when Ohio State signs that class and we go in to speak with Urban Meyer and some of the assistants on that day, what's the number going to be? 24, I think. And are you surprised? Did you? Did, were you projecting in your mind, were they projecting, do you think, you know, during the fall, that it was going to be 24, or has that number moved up in some degree as a result of the NFL defection? It did. I think it was going to be in the 21 or 22 or 20 range. It's always really hard to tell with what it's going to be because if a five-star kid wants to come, they're going to find a way somehow. So I think that it increased by three or four because even though they lost nine prematurely, they were probably expecting six. So it's not like they added nine spots because they were expecting. Right. Everyone knew Joey Bosa yes. was going pro. Yeah. So they added three unexpected slots and made it from 20 to 24, 21 to 24, however you want to play that game. And and we know there's going to be some news coming in the next week. On signing day, do you expect that Ohio State will be waiting on a kid that they are in the mix for who is announcing on signing day? I think in the morning of, they might, they might be hearing stuff. I don't know if it will be in the evening. Now there's... The one one that's interesting is Malik Harrison, who's the Columbus um, athlete who might play. You know, he's just an athlete, but I think they project him on offense. Um, right now, was scheduled to announce his call decision at six o'clock on signing day. But like, I think he's an Ohio State prospect, and he's you know from twenty minutes from Ohio State's campus. So I don't know if that's going to change, and they're going to announce it, or they're going to blow his announcement, or maybe they'll just say we've got one more coming, and everybody will know who they're talking about. But you think you think he? If you had to guess, I think right now he's going to be in the class. Okay. Based on just everything that is happening. So. Okay, so they're at twenty-two. You think they'll be at twenty-four? Yeah. Maybe so you're thinking 25. they add him, and they get one other. I think they could get him, Jordan Fuller, and maybe one other guy if things go their way, like okay. Cole Hardman. 
Okay. Maybe you know, but I think if they get a if they get the twenty fifth, that means they're going to get a good a big one. Okay, so Urban Meyer on signing day. Never in the history of the world has any coach stood up on signing day and said anything other than this class is great. We got exactly who we wanted. Everything's perfect. In his heart of hearts, how do you think Urban Meyer feels about this recruiting class? Well, we wanted to talk about the recruiting class in general, and it's kind of a shame that we waited this long because half of them are gone by now. But this is arguably the best class that they've brought in. Ohio State has never had a number one overall class in the rankings, um, according to 24-7's composite rankings. Because even in 2013, they were two, right? two behind Alabama. That great class that served as the foundation of the last two years. Yes. And now they could potentially, depending on how things end, finish number one. Number one right now most and, is LSU, right? Yeah. Yes, and I believe that Ohio State had 26 or 27 signees in the 2013 class, which always helps the ranking. So with less guys, Ohio State is in a situation where they might have a better rated class at this point. It's, it's hard to imagine it could be better. There's So 247 does like average rating. For the class as a whole. 2013, it was 89.1. And for 20... Is that a percentile? It's .8910. Is the, is, cause they they give, do an overall... They give each player a star rating, and then there's a number associated with okay. that star rating. So like just for example, like uh, Von Bell was 5 star, and he was .9867 was his rating. Class overall for 2013 was 89. And class overall for 2016 is 91, almost 92. So right now, Ohio State's... Now, of course, that's recruiting rankings. Ohio State's 2013 class came in, and those translated well. But what we've seen under Urban Meyer is that he's taken these ratings, and they've translated well. We've written about it. We'll remind you of that this week. Right now, on paper, Ohio State has even done better than the 13 class that won him a national title. And recruiting rankings, as we know, are inexact. But in the next week, if or on signing day itself, if you hear people trying to tell you that Recruiting doesn't really matter. You never know what's going to happen. That is not true. The best teams that compete for national titles are the same teams that you will see at the top of the recruiting rankings. What I tell people all the time is... Drink grape soda. Drink grape grape soda. I forgot what I was going to say, and actually that's probably a better thought than what I was even. But every time, every time, like that, Ari is making his predictions for like who's going to make the college football playoff at the beginning of the season. He just says who recruits better. Yeah. By the way, and I was right. I forgot. It just dawned on me that I, I picked, picked Alabama right. too. All right, pump the brakes, guys. Okay, you know you weren't the only one to pick Alabama <laughs> to win the title. <laughs> uh, actually, a lot of people had him out of the playoff before the year, but I think there's a very small distinction between like number one and number six or seven. But there's a great distinction between, between number seven six, and fifteen. Yes, like right. Whether you finish number one or number two in the overall rankings it's does not matter. Yes. Go look at the recruiting rankings for Purdue and Illinois and go look at the recruiting rankings for Ohio State and come back and say that recruiting doesn't matter. If you're in the top five, you're in a good spot. Okay, so stick with us for recruiting coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. We may occasionally write about other football things in the midst of all this recruiting, but maybe not. Maybe we'll just write about recruiting for a week. Uh, Ari's going to write about 15 stories a day. So um, thanks, as always, for listening to The Bad Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us here at cleveland.com slash OSU. For Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Lee Maurice.